hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. I'm Simon. And I am Haney. We're Native in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 226, recorded on April the 25th, 2023. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on nativeintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. This episode is a 30-ish minute long interview with Jeroen Terhet, one of the program managers on the Power BI product. It was recorded on the Power BI cruise, which, as the name implies, took place on a cruise ship, hence the slight added background noise. And we're joined now by Jeroen Terhet. Jeroen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. So uh, I'm pretty sure that most people in the Power BI community have at least heard your name. Mm-hmm. But could you start with telling our listeners who you are, uh, what you do, and why the heck you find yourself on a boat outside of Oslo? Well, that's that last one is a very interesting question. Even worse, because you're in my cabin yeah. on a boat off Oslo. Yeah, when you asked me to join, I was like, why are you asking me to come to your room? No, anyway, um, I'm Jeroen, or I go by Jay, um, for everybody that doesn't speak Dutch. Um, I'm a PM on the Power BI team. I own DAX and a little bit of modeling, so everything that's happening in the programming language that everybody loves to hate is, is my work. Um, so yeah, that's, um, that's who I am, that's what I do. I've been with Microsoft for 15 years, joined the Power BI team in April 2020. I live in the US and I like to travel. And I like to, you know, go to conferences. And then when I saw this, to be honest, the Power BI cruise, first I thought it was a joke. So I was like, I'm just going to monitor the website and see what happens. And then they started opening like a call for speakers. I'm like, this is actually serious. (laughs) So I figured let's just, you know, enter a session and see what happens. And they picked me. So that's how I ended up here in your cabin. There we go. So, uh, Titles are hard, mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd love to see a Power BI report that uh, summarizes the number of managers in Microsoft, because everybody and their cat seems to be a manager of something. Sure. What is a program manager? Because in, in the Power BI community, especially because we have such a close contact with the program managers, everybody has heard the term, but what does it mean, and what, what, do, you, what do you really do? That's a good question. Um... I think we're by now called product managers as well. So there's like two of us, two types of us, but I think it's the same. It's just basically preference. Um, I think officially I'm now internally called pro product manager, but I keep like tripping up and say program manager. doesn't matter. I, I don't manage anybody. I'm not a manager in the sense of like managing people. Um, maybe the better word for this whole role would be a, project manager, like managing a project. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make sure that we start on something, we know what we're going to build, that we're actually finishing it. And I'm not building any software. Please don't allow me to write any software that goes into production in Power BI because it will be horrible. What I'm going to do, or what my role is, to figure out what is the scope of the project, the feature that we're starting on, work with the engineers, with the architects, with design, with user research to make sure that, you know, we are actually making progress towards a goal and just basically chasing everybody to make sure that we reach the goal, which means shipping a feature. 
So you're, you're project managing people, but you don't manage the people per right. se. I don't have any power over them. They're equals of mine. Software engineers are equal of mine. They are not under the same manager, all of that stuff. So how do you, how do you get people to do what you need them to do? That's an interesting question because software engineers like to work on interesting projects. They like to do interesting, cool, new stuff. Either it can be technical challenge, can be a functional, cool thing. So really, you need to kind of find, build a good relationship with them and then get them to work on your project. I mean, they have some level of freedom of preference of what they want to do. Um, software engineers are all under a certain manager and those managers are aligned to program managers. So I now work with a team of, what is it, eight software engineers on one particular feature and that's because they are all under the same manager and that manager is aligned to me. Now, if, um, for example, if that manager has multiple projects, then the software engineers have some freedom of choice to say like, I don't want to work on Jay's project. I want to work on Emily's, right? Uh, just to name another PM, right? So they have that level of freedom. Um, and it's, it's up from, to me to have a good relationship with them. So they want to work on what I'm working on. So can we infer from that that a successful PM is more of a people person than necessarily a deeply technical person? Um, you need people skills, for sure. I think technical skills help, not necessary, but help, because that's a great way of building uh, a relationship with a software engineer, right? If you can kind of presume you can step into their shoes, um, because you know at least a little bit about what it means to do a check-in and a PR and a build and what it means if something like, for example, we have we have been talking about uh, why why it's weird that C Sharp doesn't have any any uh, class inheritance for more than one class, so like inheritance for, for multiple classes. If that doesn't ring a bell at all, then you won't be part of that conversation with software engineers. So I'm not saying that I can reproduce whatever they do, but at least I know enough to kind of like understand the words and kind of like be, be, a, be a conversational partner. So I think that really helps, but it's not a requirement. Um, I've seen loads of successful engineers, uh, sort of PMs that have been, that don't have technical knowledge, but more rely on their people skills than, than I maybe do um, to get that relationship going. So more of a jack of all trades, yes. the, the more experience, the, the wider experience you have might also be beneficial yep. in, in a PM role. Yeah, yeah, and I think the one important indicator I think of a, of a successful, or well, chance of a success as a PM is customer knowledge and customer empathy. Like understanding what is going on when you are feet on the ground at a customer solving a problem. Ideally, having been a consultant or worked with people that were consultants in your previous lives, that, that would be like ideal knowledge, I think. And that pivots so well into uh, my, my next line of, of questions. Power BI in any any piece of software essentially is a number of features put together mm -hmm. and packaged as a, as a tool. Yeah. And you can guarantee that you're going to find someone that says, well, my feature is the most important ever. Yep. And they will essentially move heaven and earth to make sure that you know that. Mm -hmm. But how do you really choose features? Because 
I think a lot of people believe that, well, you go for the, the coolest feature or you go for the technically most advanced feature, but at the end of the day, it's neither of those. It's probably going to be what customers need, correct? Yeah. Well, there's a balance, of course, to find between... There's multiple things that go into this, right? I mean, we get voting, we get loads of inputs, right? So we get, like, ideas from customers, MVPs, partners, uh, large customers as well, like people just saying, like, hey, we need this feature for, for our business to succeed. So there's a couple of drivers. There's um, business, like how many more net new users are we going to get if we build this feature? That's a question, right? Not every feature needs to add net new users. It could also be that the feature just improves performance, another interesting thing, or maybe it improves usability or security of the product, right? So I can definitely ship a feature that just improves performance and doesn't add net new users because I can argue if I improve the performance, the users that we have will be happier. So that's then working towards customer satisfaction, right? That's another artifact. And then there is the technical challenge slash innovation, like trying to keep ahead of the market or closing the gap to competitors in the market if we feel like they exist. <laughs> which is, of course, like a little bit of a hot topic sometimes, but basically like, hey, if somebody else is doing something, should we react or should we do something about that? And that's the other artifact. And sometimes that is just innovation that we don't know if it's going to be successful, if it's going to be useful, if it's going to be us usable, if it will add any new users, but it's just something that we feel like is the right thing to do. So that's another thing that we, that we use to kind of decide. Um, and there's many features out there that people feel like, why are you not building that? And I want to call out one, uh, dark mode. People go like, why are you not building that? Well, if you think about these, these axes that I just told you. Innovation. Is it innovation? Adding a dark mode to software? That's not innovation in the market. Does it add performance? Probably not. Does it add new users? I don't think any customer will pivot their decision to buy Power BI on the fact that we support dark mode, yes or no. So the only thing that's left, it doesn't improve security. So the only thing that's left is it probably improves usability a lot. Then if that's the only lag that that feature has to stand on, it will probably not survive. Because there's other features that tick out of the four or five boxes that we identified, three of them, right? So if your feature that you want to build has only one lag to stand on, Unless it's a flamingo, it won't work. Let's stay with, with dark mode as a great example. How do we how do we um, expand dark mode to tick more of the boxes? Because I'm thinking that is a way to get a feature through the gate, if you will. Yeah, absolutely, and that's exactly the strategy that you follow as a PM. You try to find ways into shipping then dark mode as part of something else that actually ticks more of those boxes. Great example would be think about shipping an office. If Power BI wants to ship an office that we want to do eventually, guess what? We need to we need to support theming. Isn't dark mode just the theme? Done, right? Ship an office requirement is you need to have a color scheme picker so I can pick pick between either customized colors or one, two, three color schemes. That's like basically the requirement from Office to keep like a consistent experience between Word, PowerPoint, and Excel. They all have the same color scheme picker thingy. Power BI will have to do the same if we want to ship an Office. So that's where we can now 
basically make the case, hey, we want to ship in Office because that adds new users, adds rec brand recognition, you know, other things. Great, that's something that then adds value. Oh, as part of that, we actually need to build dark mode. Or we need to build the plumbing that will allow us to do theming, which will then also bring dark mode. So that's how we get, like, by a roundabout way, we get the feature ship. Where it's on its own, it would never survive. And I'm, I'm guessing that you have a number of features. At any given day, you have a, a backlog, like yeah. the length of your arm, with things that you would like to do, mm -hmm. but just simply do not have yeah. time for. Yeah, so for DAX and modeling, uh, for my area that I own, I have, I think, a shadow administration Excel of latest count is 180 items that I keep track of, that I identified and vetted as something that is useful. So that's basically the, the first filtering of like crap ideas is out, right? That those are all filtered out. So those are ideas that make sense to some extent. Then I go score those basically on these axes. Like what do I think is the impact of this feature on number of users? Is there a no change, a plus, a minus? How big of a plus, how big of a minus? Security performance, etc. Then I also calculate um, votes from ideas. I take that into account, add that as well, because that adds weight to the, to the idea. I go keep track of customers asking for it, number of times it's shown up in customers' conversations, or if big customer names have been requesting that feature, that adds a lot of weight, right? If, let's say, a big retailer asks for it, that is, and, and they have, like, management's ear, that adds a lot of weight. Um, so that is useful. And then the other thing that I do with that is balance, um, try to identify which engineering manager, so that's the manager of software engineers, I would work with to make this feature happen. Each engineering manager has their own team with their own focus. So who do I need if I want to implement this feature? And why do I do that? Because if I have 100 features I want to do, if 99 of them go to one engineering manager, I know I cannot do all 99, ever. So that's how, what I do with that. And then every six months we do a planning cycle and I get to choose out of that whole list, I get to prioritize 20. And from the 20, I have a conversation with my software engineers, uh, so, uh, sorry, engineering managers and my architects that like in my area. And we basically cut, have to cut it down to about five that I, have to, that I can put in a hat basically. And then I, the only thing I can do is hope that five of those get picked. But history has taught me that it's about two to three that get picked. So you go from 150 to make it easy. It's a little bit more, but let's say 150. You cut that down to 20. Then from there, you cut it down to five. And those you put into a head. And that goes into the conversation of what, what do we want to do from all of these, that all of the ideas, because all those PMs do the same, right? They have five things they add approximately. And then we go look at all these axes, performance, security, etc., users, business. Which ones do we want to do? And then for which do we have capacity, right? If we wanted to ship this feature, how much effort would that be? And what if we ship that? Does that mean that we cannot ship the other feature? And what if we didn't ship this feature? What other features would we ship? So basically it becomes a conversation. What would you not do to get this feature? And 
a question that we ask ourselves is basically, if we shipped something very complicated, I don't know, uh, whatever, nuclear physics calculations inside of DAX, something, just saying something. If that means, um, let's say that it's so much effort that it would mean that we cannot ship anything else for the next six months, is that worth it? And that's a really hard answer, a hard question to answer, right? Um, so those are the questions we have to answer. And then out of that comes a whole list of things that we're going to do that six months. And then it's my job to take the items that I got back. Like, okay, so these items survived this whole conversation amongst all PMs, the whole planning cycle. And then those items that I get, I basically start writing a specification for, functional specification, if I haven't started already. Most of them already start with like a small scale, like high over specification. So it kind of like gives a feeling about what this feature really is, just a couple words. And then if I have a specification, I get it reviewed and that turns into a technical specification from an engineer that turns into a milestone plan, that turns into a uh, sprint planning, that turns into design, maybe user research as well, design work. Then finally we start developing software then we get sync meetings every week to make sure that we're making progress, stands up, stand ups as typical software development. Then at some point we get to a private preview and then at some point afterwards we get to a public preview and then we finally, finally, finally get to a GA, a general availability. And then we do it all over again. It sounds like a bit of a never ending job. Yes. It just keeps going. So uh, roughly how many PMs are there in, in Power BI as the entire product? Uh, the entire product. Well, uh, let's see, roughly, I think, 20, 25, 30 maybe? 30, I think 30. So that's still 60 to 90 new features every six months, which in the grand scheme of things doesn't sound like much, but it's an insane amount of work that goes into that. Yeah. And speaking of work, um, I've done some uh, software development, and everybody is in agreement that it is a very good thing that I don't do that anymore because <laughs> um, I cannot write code if my life depended on it. Have you found yourself in a situation where you've, you've spec'd out a feature, it sounds like a great thing, everything is planned, you give it to the, the software developers, they start working, and they hit this chasm. They cannot get it to work. How do you how do you handle something that pops up and turns out to be a hundred times more complicated than you thought from the beginning? Depends, I think, on on how how cool the feature is and how much impact the feature is going to make. Mm -hmm. Like, if we know that this is going to be make or break for our future as a product, or maybe annoy a competitor enough or add so many extra users we'll just push through and make it work anyway and that's just basically all hands on deck get more engineers from other teams to look at get other teams to like sacrifice some of their features to help you push this through because i believe software in the end um you can do anything in software right anything can be built as long as you go enough effort put enough effort in it um now is it still sensical that's dependent on how much gain you're, you're, you're thinking you're going to get from it. Um, but oftentimes, it just means something goes back on the shelf. Like, okay, so this means, oh, so really to build this feature, we actually would have needed 
that amount of plumbing over there, which is not really in our focus area. We don't have the engineers on this team with that knowledge. So we either then would have to borrow that knowledge from some other team, which are already very busy with their own plans, so they don't have time for that. So oftentimes what happens here is if skeletons like that pop up, um, they come out of the closet, we just stop. And like we say, okay, so we learned something about this feature, right? We learned that we underestimated the impact on that part of the product that we don't own, that there's no ownership, no room on that side where the ownership lies to pick that up now. So basically then what we say is we stop for this semester. Basically means when the new planning cycle comes along, we'll make sure that building that plumbing is then on the list for that team to pick up the next semester. So then by the time they're done, the original team can the semester after start continue implementing the feature. Right, so feature A needs plumbing in area B that they don't own. Area B's team is very busy. They don't have time. They are not willing to sacrifice anything for to build the plumbing so team A can continue. What happens? Team A stops for now. Building the plumbing goes on to the list for team B for next semester. Assuming they then pick it up and complete that within the semester. The semester after, team A can then continue. So basically you get a hiatus of a year. And that happens a lot. Because it's software development. You know uh, some things, but there's a lot of stuff you don't know until you start. You actually start implementing stuff. No, and then I, I had a conversation with someone um, who in turn had a, had, had a conversation with a PM on, on the Excel team. And he essentially explained to me why, why is Excel so slow in shipping features? Because anything you touch can potentially break the whole world. Yeah, absolutely. And Power BI is still a fairly small product off the side of things, but still, I'm, I'm guessing that you're, you're always cognizant and a, a bit hesitant to do big breaking changes. Yeah, of course. I mean, breaking changes are always scary. Um, and yeah, I mean, loads of features look very simple on the outset. And and one example that I from recent uh, releases is the dynamic format strings for measures. If you look at it from a user's perspective, what we just added is one text box and one drop-down. That's all. Well, no, right? Because for that to happen, basically everything that sits between that UI to sending that query that generates, that, that the format string thing generates to the AS engine, which is the database that sits in Power BI, there's like five, six, seven layers between those two things. All of them will need to be updated. All of them will, be, will need to be um, um, released at the same time, make sure there's no bugs, no communication errors between them. And guess what? You have teams that know part one and two. You have teams that own part three and four. You have teams that own part five and six, and you have a separate team that owns seven. Right? So if there's seven steps, and you have basically four teams involved to cover those seven steps, that means a lot of alignment. And that also means that during semester planning, you need to, need to make, make damn sure that if you wanted to ship this feature this semester, that all of those four teams have time and put it on their list and also make sure it happens, right? If out of those four teams, the one that's responsible for step seven says, you know what, ah, I don't think that's very useful for us this semester. We're not going to do it. Then out of your four teams, one disappears, which doesn't sound like a, a big deal, 
But it is a big deal because the whole chain now just basically collapses. You will never ship that feature that semester. So there's a lot of coordination going on there as well. Um, there's a lot of like, and that's definitely an architect role. Um, we call them interactions. So monitoring the interactions, like for every new feature, how does this impact that feature? Like there's a long list as part of every spec, which is basically every feature, almost every feature listed. And this is basically saying, hey, this feature, how does that impact download PBX, right? The, the, the ability to download the PBX from the servers, is that supported with this new thing? Will that break it, yes or no? If the user uses this new dynamic format strings for measures, is downloading a PBX still supported? Yes, okay, no, why, why not? And then who's responsible for documenting that? So people know. All of those interactions are being tracked, which can be a hell of a job, right? And that's, that's architect's roles to keep track of those interactions across the board. Can you mention any, well, let's start with an easy one. Any features that you're particularly proud of having been able to, to champion from almost zero to, to actual release or public preview? Um, for sure. I mean, the one that I'm really proud of that we finally, 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 finally <laughs> were able to ship is composite models for Power BI datasets. I mean, I onboarded, that was my very first feature that I onboarded to as a new PM onto the team. It was already started by a previous PM who left Microsoft since. And I took over, I think, maybe three months after the work started. And I brought it to public preview in December 2020, which sounds like a long time ago. And finally, last uh, this month, it, it shipped to GA, right? So when I say ship, I mean GA, not because we're on a boat, but basically <laughs> because to, to general availability. So I'm, I'm very proud of that one because um, it was a very complicated feature. Like this is one of those examples where there's so many moving parts, so many things that you touch. You touch basically everything, so all the interactions is very hard to keep track of. And the problem with this feature is it's been out there so long. Of course, you can define the interactions at this, like the start, but then between December 2020 and April 2023, loads of things have happened in those two plus years, right? Other features have been developed and released in the meantime, while we were still in preview. So then the interactions that I defined originally have changed because the feature does something new. The other features has done a new functionality. So that's that's really hard. So anyway, that's, that's one I'm really proud of. The other one I'm really proud of is um, the DAX functions that we recently released, the what we call the window functions, like offset index and window. Uh, rank and row number, I believe, are now out. There's more coming. I'm just really excited to see, well, not where that will take us, because I know where it will take us, because we started on this journey for a reason. Uh, we're not just doing this randomly, um, but I'm excited to see how people are going to use them and, and what crazy solutions we're going to see. So yeah, those are two big features that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about. And that brings us to the question, can you talk about any feature that you had a very, very clear use case for that people took and came up with the most crazy application that you could not have foreseen? Well, we've seen with the composite models for Power BI data sets that we, we had a very clear vision of how that's supposed to be used. <laughs> and then people start using it. And I mean, for example, that thing is, we designed it 
to allow you to extend the central data model. Let's, let's say that your central IT department, BI department created, we allowed you to then add a couple of smaller circles of smaller data sets to it to kind of mesh it up and add more value, right? Uh, you take your Power BI data set, maybe you add an Excel sheet to add more value. That's how we designed the feature. Then we st when we start looking at telemetry, there, there are users out there that actually meshed up 50, 50 Power BI data sets like that. So not just one big circle and then a couple smaller, no, just 50 big circles and all just linked to them together. The product will not stop you from doing that. It's a bad idea for performance, etc. And that we documented that that's a bad idea, but there's no no way, no reason there's no we're not actively stopping you from doing this. And that's just sometimes crazy to see. And at first I thought it was an outlier in our data, like there's probably some telemetry issue, there's something going on because 50 of those? That's probably five what this means. No, no, no. It was actually just literally 50 that people created such solutions with. Um, if it works, yes or no, fine, it works. If you're happy with that, do it. Is it across uh, uh, in alignment with the original idea and the original intent? No, absolutely not. But hey, if it works for you, who are we to tell you not to do this? Have you ever found yourself in a situation where people have started doing something that you did not expect and realized that, whoa, that is a fantastic idea. We didn't think of that. Could we take a step back and maybe re-architect this feature to better suit that new um, pattern that we didn't see coming? Yeah, that happens. That happens a lot. Um, and it, it, that's the reason why we do private and then public previews, for us to learn that before we go GA. Right, so the private preview uh, period is the moment to for us to give it to MVPs, to customers that are very good at breaking things. Yes, to do the smoke test, right? To like try it, see how far you can take this thing, and see what crazy use cases you might be able to come up with. Same for like some select customers. We invite them, and they can install it, and they play with it, and they give us feedback. That's like the the trait that we have, right? We give you access, you give us feedback, and we learn a lot about how they want to use this feature. And in the DAX world, that often leads to new functions being designed. Because people go like, oh, this is great. So you built this function and that function. So I can use those three functions together to solve this business problem in like a very roundabout way. And then we go like, well, wait, if we just built this function, then all the roundabout way would disappear. It would perform better. It will be easier to read, easier to maintain, easier to write. Why don't we just build a function for it? And that's how then that private preview and public preview feedback informs the decision-making process. And how often would you say that a private preview goes off without a hitch and then you drop it to public preview and all hell essentially breaks loose? <laughs> well, not. I, I'm very tempted. I'm laughing. I'm very tempted to say 100%. Oh. <laughs> that's, not, that's not fair. Um, because there, there's a saying that no, no plan ever survives contact with the enemy, correct? Right, right, right. So the problem, well, the challenge is in a private preview, I can handhold. I can handpick the users that I want to try this. And then I can also do more explaining to them. I don't drop it on them cold, right? I go like, hey, this is the original intent of the feature. I get time to spend with them, like do webinars with them, like hours to go like, hey, this is what we intended. This is how you're supposed to use it. This is what we thought about when we designed it. I can give them all that context before they even start playing with it. 
In a public preview, I have limited opportunity for that. I have one blog post and a documentation page, which chances are nobody will read either of those, right? They will just at some point see an update of Power BI Desktop or the Power BI service, and they notice a new button and they start clicking without reading anything of the context. I have no control over who then is using that feature and what level of understanding of the design and the intent of that feature they have. They don't have to read the blog. They don't have to read the docs. Um, and in a private preview, they kind of have to because I can gatekeep and say, hey, you have to attend this session before I give you access. With the public review, that, that control goes out of the window. So yes, absolutely, it's terrifying. <laughs> and, and loads of situations where people just blow up because they either don't like what we did and say, you should have spent the time somewhere else. That happens a lot um, because it's useless for me. Well, that's also always nice. It's useless for me. Yeah, that doesn't mean it's useless for everybody, right? The reason we're building this is probably because it's useful for other people. Have you maybe thought about that before you said it's useless? Anyway, that's one. And the other thing is they probably haven't read the docs or blog, so they miss a little bit of context of why you want to use this. Like we implemented offset and index and window, and people go like, I will never use that. It's useless. Well, it's not useless. It's very useful. Okay. Well, I might use it, but I don't understand it. How would I use this? I'm like, well, go read the blogs or go read the docs. Yeah, but I already solved the same problem using this. Fine, great, but doesn't mean that everybody solved that same problem using this and that that's a good solution for everybody and this might not be easier and more performant. So it's terrifying to bring something to public preview and most, most of the time that's where you get the biggest, the biggest pushback and the biggest negative feedback. Um, hopefully during private preview you have selected such a good representation of the complete audience that those instances would be limited Right? I mean, it's tempting to just send it to only your friends, right? But the people I pick, for example, the customers I pick for new DAX functions or new DAX functionality that we're building for a private preview are the customers that in their onboarding interviews with our uh, customer advisory team have literally said DAX is hard. And DAX being hard to learn and to grasp is a blocker for us to use Power BI successfully. Those are the customers that I invite to my private preview for DAX stuff. So in some way, they are the enemy. They are the ones that are struggling. I want them to try it out and tell me, this is really awesome, this really helps, right? If they give me that feedback, combine them with our friends, the MVPs, that gave me, give me feedback about how awesome the work is, I am pretty confident that we're on the right track. And then when we hit public preview, that most people that are of the connotation that DAX is hard will fall in line with the people that I talked to during the private preview that said DAX is hard that already liked it. So hopefully that those people that think DAX is hard still will then also like it. So that's kind of like strategies that I follow to uh, to handle that. It's just a matter of not sending it just to friends during private preview. Just pick some of your complaining customers about the features that you're trying to improve. Like, okay, so you told me this sucks. Okay, great. I built something that hopefully sucks less. Can you please try it? Give me feedback. And that's a top tip right there. Don't be afraid to ask for feedback from people that may not be your best friends. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those are the most vocal 
especially on social media, for example. Like, if you go to a social media like Reddit, on the subreddit for Power BI, there's loads of crap. <laughs> there's a lot talk about dark mode. Yeah, and stuff being not good, right? And there's a lot of complaining going on. Uh, and sometimes it's hard to lend your ear to that complaints. Um, so, yeah, it's easy to get frustrated there as well. Um, but yeah, the, the strategy that I follow is basically like, hey, you know, when, I, when I'm serious about doing something about some complaint, then let's ship it in a way that we test the waters with customers that have complained. So we can at least be relatively sure that the others that are still out there and complaining will be happier. Of course, there's no guarantee, right? Never. But the chances that they will be happy is are bigger than just me just bluntly going only to friends and they all, you know, being trying to be nice to me and just say, yeah, yeah, it's great, it's great, while they really think it's not great. So, yeah. Sounds reasonable. Jay, it's been a great uh, 30 minutes to 30 to 36 minutes. <laughs> uh, there, there's no, I, I don't think we've ever done any episode uh, at all that has actually stuck to the time frame. So that's why it's 30-ish minutes. And ish is a very useful mm -hmm. fudge factor. It's like what we do is soon. Like yes. It's coming soon. When will then be now? Right, exactly. That's, That's the question. Soon. Yeah. Fair enough. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much. You've, you've given me a lot of things to, to think about, and I'm sure that you kind of straightened out a lot of, of um, question marks for many people that have thought about how how do you go about figuring out what to put into a product, especially mm -hmm. a product such, um, such a complicated product as Power BI. Right. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. And we'll be back in another week's. Awesome. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Need Even Tech. Need Even Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Haini Hilmaninen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at needeventech.com.